Hey boys and girls, sports fans, it's Dan here from Diginomica and today I have James Norwood uh, on the line from EpiServer. James, take it away. I'm Executive Vice President of Strategy and Chief of Staff at EpiServer. Well, there we go. James, you've done it for yourself. You've introduced yourself magnificently. So listen, you did send over a little document that was t talking very glowingly about how the company's been doing. Just run us through that, will you? Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Another another strong year for EpiServer. I mean, we're very fortunate that we're in a market uh, where there's a lot of companies betting on or, or needing to invest in digital yeah. uh, in order to uh, to survive and thrive and grow themselves. So we're in a we're in a wonderful space: digital marketing, digital content, digital commerce, all of those things. So uh, we, we continue to fare well because of that across the board. And um, the investments that we've made as an organization um, ourselves are, are starting to pay dividends as well. I mean, North America is our, is our largest region now. Uh, five years ago, it was, it was one of our smallest. So it's, uh, it's, it's growing pretty well and we're growing new business. So it's one of the things that you're always excited about is that you're not just selling to your existing customers, but you're introducing new customers to the community. To, so to see things like 180 percent increase in new customer sales in in traditional markets like sweden where you'd think we were <laughs> we, we'd already sold everyone we could do and 87 percent increase year over year in north america is fantastic so adding lots of customers um we've we've just um this month we we uh, welcomed our 500 customer onto the digital experience cloud service which we introduced in 2015 mm -hmm. and uh yeah we're, we're we're picking up some really nice brand names um, as well. And just, just to give you a couple of examples, like the Metropolitan Police Service in the United Kingdom, one of our largest deals um, in, the, in the last six months, Grant Thornton, the accountants. Uh, I was going to say, good evening, officer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, hello, hello, hello. Is, um, yeah, it was uh, uh, def definitely some, you know, it's great to see some brand names like Hornby Hobbies, which, you know, as a kid, that was everything to me. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, Phoenix Outdoor, who make the Fiala Raven Konkan little backpacks that all the kids wear, and uh, you know, even even in the you know in education and, and uh, public sector as well, Coventry University, City of Long Beach, and then the li the list goes on. And we're we're not just doing dot coms and commerce sites, but we're also doing um, very well in intranets and employee portals. Um, you know, we, we signed up Chick-fil-A, who's, who's well known if you're in the U.S. It's a sort of um, multinational, um, sorry, a, a national um, fast food chain. And uh, we're running their entire employee portal now on, on EpiServer. So, yeah, ex exciting times from, um, from a performance perspective. Okay. Let's just um, wind this back because, I mean, we, we try to understand how, specifically in retail, yeah, um, where we often talk about this notion of the, the omni-channel and all the rest of it. Um, I mean, one of my guys is particularly keen on that, uh, that topic. And is, is this move towards more digital uh, channels driving it from a retail standpoint? I presume the answer is going to be yes, but, I mean, is there a, a diversity and approach to this? Because it seems that a lot of companies are getting it right, but a lot are getting it wrong as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So here's what I often tell. So we were visiting a prospect in New York last week who uh, hopefully will side, sign on with us, a uh, very well-known retail 
brand um, on uh, Park Avenue in New York. But uh, I was saying to them, they, they were very fixated about you know digital commerce and how they've got to increase their their um, their gross merchandise value online. And I said, well, don't forget that you know a digital commerce site. It's not all about what you actually sell online. It's about the research that people do mm-hmm. that actually ends up translating to dollars in store. And this is what what a lot of retailers are starting to realize now is that it is digital doesn't just mean a online store. It, it means digitalizing the entire business, even in store, and making sure that you have have a seamless um, you know experience between them all and and beyond into social and to email and to everything else. And so I think most retailers are starting to realize that the connection between the, the, the two things are inseparable. And that a very strong online presence can actually uh, increase um, the, the larger nut, which is which is in store sales. And we're 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 definitely pushing that and helping people to um, to go digital on on every channel, digital in store as well as online. Okay. And are are these companies understanding that, or are they? You say that they're fixated on on the digital channel. Presumably, that's as a result of uh, how Amazon has. Um, kind of swamp things a little bit. Uh, is is it a result of that or not? I mean, I don't know. I'm not. Um, I'm not. A I, yeah, no. I, I, I think the, I think you you it, it's the real answer is close to what you said. There's this is you know the concern about the Amazons of the world. Although most retailers now understand that they need to not just offer things themselves, but offer things through marketplaces like Amazon and eBay yeah. and Walmart anyway. Um, that that's that, that's very much a given. I just think it's a mindset change that it, you know a lot of retailers still have e-commerce professionals. And like you're not, you're a, you're a, you're really a you're a chief digital officer or you're a marketing professional because it, it's about how you capture mindshare where regardless of where the final purchase ends up. Right. But we're very happy if the final purchase ends up in store. But all of the research and and and, and the mindshare and the education went on online and, and and it's that it's that change that's starting to happen i don't think they all get that a lot of them say well you know um digital commerce only represents five percent or ten percent of all of our business so it's not that important well guess what it is because it's driving so much more back to in-store and vice versa so uh, you, you have to think of it holistically well the other aspect to it as well is is that if you're driving if you're able to drive significant traffic into the online environments then presumably your cost of customer acquisition drops dramatically in comparison with having to service people in store i would have thought um if if for yep. no other reason than the fact that digital really has a zero cost marginal cost of um, uh, of acquisition doesn't it? It, it, it exactly and again we're, we're fortunate today that we're in a very buoyant market but that that's that won't that won't continue forever Right. And uh, and so a very strong investment in in digital commerce um, is is essential because at the end of the day that that's going to weather the ups and downs of uh, of, of um, changes in the market, yeah. <laughs> Brexit or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the weather, for instance. So say for instance, I you know I might be interested in in buying something online, whatever that may be, and uh, I may do my research online. And thinking, oh, I'm going to go to the store and get it, and then it pours down with rain. Well, you know what? I'll get it online instead. At least if I've got the channel, I can do it, can't I? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. And you know, again, we we at Episerver, we we've done very well by being very laser focused at, at what we call experience driven, you know, digital businesses, and and it's those folks that are looking to marry very rich content 
educational experiences with with the buying experience. So we're we're not in the we're not trying to take Amazon or Jet head on. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not about price and availability and all of those things and, and choice. It, it's about it's about building a brand affinity. And many of the retailers that come to us, uh, they they are looking to keep a customer for life uh, and build a community around them and. and and engage them and continue to get more wallet share from them over time, whether that's a retailer, whether that's financial services, whether that's um, travel media, whatever, that's that's the type of um, business they are. And that's where we we work really well because we can offer that, um, the the ability to deliver those rich experiences where in many cases, you know, others are just a commerce engine. Right. Now, a couple of years ago, I remember going to one of your events in Las Vegas. I think it was, where there That's was right. t- where there was talk of um, personalization, and which was kind of nascent at that point in time. But I could see how, in um, environments where you're selling particular types of goods, you could probably personalize the experience relatively easily. I think the example that I saw was kids' clothing of some sort. Uh, I may be wrong, yeah. but that was it was that kind of example. But how has personalization changed, in, would you say, in the last 18 months or so? Because it's, it's certainly a topic that perplexes me a great deal. <laughs> I'd love to figure it out. Yeah, so I mean, if you, if you put aside all of the, you know, the, I mean, the, there, are, there, are, well, there are tremendous benefits from the use of artificial intelligence, whether that's machine learning or deep learning algorithms and that sort of thing. Mm. Tremendous benefits, um, and there are also a lot of, uh, we read about a lot of the downsides and the negatives around the social media networks and that type of thing. But if you sort of put put that aside and think purely about the business angle of it, mm. um, you know, for Episerver, we we again we've been very laser focused on on a number of very specific business use cases. So about 120 odd algorithms that we have now that they're, they're very very targeted to help B2B manufacturers or B2C retailers. Uh, really just just improve their ability to get closer to customers and give customers ultimately what they want it's not being creepy it's not you know trying to make you do something you don't want it's trying to trying to serve you better mm-hmm. and and we we've been able to implement that um, as you say in Vegas that was very much um, conceptual at that time we we made acquisitions we've made developments you and i have talked about the difficulties of personalizing content versus products where you have catalog and skew data and we're well down that down that road now of 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 um, meta tagging content and then being able to serve that content up um, in a customer's journey based on you know preferences and things like that and it's just making people's lives easier it's, it's uplifting revenue it's uplifting conversions and uh, it's just an easy sell to do. And we were one of the first, again, to sort of recognize that and bring it into our core stack. And I don't know if you saw the other day, but Dynamic Yield, one of the last um, standalone sort of personalization vendors, was just acquired by McDonald's. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you're like, what on earth is, is a restaurant chain doing buying a buying a uh, product recommendations engine but guess what many of our many of our customers who are using our product recs are restaurant chains so it's uh, it's not uh, it's, it's not that far off so clearly it makes a difference it's an easy one to prove out and uh, the important thing is that you you keep it focused on on very clear business outcomes and avoid some of that dangerous area of people's personal um, personal lives and, and that sort of thing. Okay, I can see it in terms of uh, retail. I can see it in terms of 
things like restaurants and so those kinds of services b2b yeah no absolutely i mean we we have some tremendous um b2b use cases we've got a uh, I've got a, uh, an automotive uh, lubricant provider who, who's using um, multiple of our algorithms. So when, when one of their buyers um, is logging in, it's, it's recommending to them based on what they've purchased in the past. Um, it's actually preparing quick orders for them based on what it thinks they're going to need. Um, and it's going to start to recommend to them um, perhaps new new things in stock which they would be interested in for their customers so there's kind of a b2b2c element to it but uh, you'd be surprised how well it's being adopted um, in the b2b space particularly by brand manufacturers um, but also those that are you know sell- selling on and, and beyond that give you a great example as well we have um, uh, we're working with heineken who who were finding that they were being digitally disrupted by um, a lot of the microbrews that are coming, you know, that are that are cropping up all over the world, it seems now. Yeah. So rather than sort of keep fighting them, they decided to um, to work with them, and they they launched with the money that they have um, their own marketplace. It's called Beerwolf. All right. And they actually then uh, they they then allow and support these microbrews to market and sell um, through that marketplace. But then Heineken's taking a percentage off the top, so it's kind of a win-win and, and and that and that's giving these very small breweries access to very rich content platform um you know and, and these algorithms to help personalize and target their customers too so it's a really it's a really good example of sort of a b2b to c so yeah it's, it's definitely out there and the obvious the low-hanging fruit was retail and then it moved into you know travel and other things but um whenever you log into a beta uh, an advanced b2b site today you, you're probably being served some form of um, artificial intelligence. Does that work in all circumstances? I mean, the, the one that I'm probably more familiar with than anything else is the likes of a of a Walmart or, a, as it used to be, a BHS. Those kinds of company that would place massive bulk orders with their suppliers. Yeah, they'll say, right, yeah. you know, I want X million of this or I want X million of that, whatever it is. And you'd go through, because I used to do this years ago, you'd go through a negotiation yep. process line by line by line, and you end up with a bulk order, and then there would be call-offs over the year and uh, right. everything that goes with it. Now, can what you're doing be applied to those scenarios? Because the buyer at the, at the Walmart end, or whatever it is, is making the best guess that they can about demand going into the future, and you as a supplier having to live with it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to work out. In fact, very, 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 very rarely does it ever work out that way. Yeah. Is, is there yeah. application from that perspective as well, perhaps? In well, there may, there, may be some, there may be some degree that you can help the sales guys, but that, what, that's one of the things that you know, is, is, is fairly unique about, about the B2B world is that there's, all, there's still a sales team involved. And, they, yeah. and, and what, what we're trying to do is to, is to remove all of the noise and all of the, all of the little things and the things that might get in the way mm. of letting a salesperson be a product expert and advisor back to, um, back to their buyer. And, and um, yeah, and so I, I don't know if we've got quite that sophisticated, certainly not in, in our use cases yet in, in sort of the bulk orders, but yeah. we're not looking to sort of help a B2B organization remove their sales team. We're helping them to be the, the experts that they need to be on the big 
deals okay. and and then sort of uplift revenue and simplify a lot of the choices on the on the easier stuff around the catalog okay just thinking about the um uh, just thinking about the the community element here now community has been talked about since forever it or at least it appears that way um i presume that in the environments that you're talking about community is not just going to evolve that people within those organizations who are trying to get that customer for life i presume are having to set up entirely new um organizations that handle the community element is is that what you're seeing as well or am i being well, a presumptive well no it's it's a bit of both really so a lot of the retailers have, have they're, they're not they don't necessarily do their own community they're particularly like the apparel retailers are too big so they tend to tie into the existing um, social media environments like Instagram. So many of our retailers now, um, they their shop their shoppable mechanism is Instagram. Oh, okay. And you you basically so we, we have firms like um, NAKD, which is does clothes for the sort of Gen Gen Z um, uh, generation and the you know sort of younger millennials. And basically, they don't expect anyone to come to their dot com and buy stuff um, they expect uh, it to be complete shoppable media so the community is actually in instagram and then when you're ready to buy you ju you just click on the, the picture and it goes straight into the shopping cart wow. so that i think the retailers are sort of by in many cases are bypass that but if you get into more of the sort of ex experiential brands you know like we have farrow and ball in the uk oh, yeah. the the guys that did for paint what starbucks did for coffee mm -hmm. You know, moved it from five dollars to hundred dollars a tin, and uh, they're live now. You can check out check out their site, um, and they're they're running pretty you know a, a nice omni-channel solution with us. Yeah. But for them, a lot of the way that they they keep their orders flowing and keep their orders up is they are running their own community. It's a social it's a social community, but it's really just about getting and it's tied into the social networks like Instagram and beyond. Mm. But it's really about um, encouraging customers to just post pictures and, and, and talk freely about what they've done with their rooms and how they've transformed their homes. Yeah. And then others are saying, well, wow, what did, what did, what did you use for that? And liking that. And it, it becomes a self-fulfilling thing. They get increased order value. They get increased, um, uh, you know, um, um, attraction and, and range because of that. And uh, definitely that's a big part of their strategy. Uh, and you know they're, they're still going to sell in stores. They're still going to sell online, but the community is where they ensure that they're they're keeping their brand and their price up. That's interesting. Uh, That's really interesting. That because um, about eighteen months ago, we uh, we restored a, a, the house that we live in now, which is a, a Georgian property, um, one of these grade two listed places. So in other words, it's a never ending uh, bucket of money that you have to throw at it. But uh, when, when it came to decorating, we had no no idea what we were going to do. I mean, I'm I, I have no design um, capability whatsoever. So I, what you're saying there is interesting, and I did actually try it out. But in the end, I just got a designer to come in and do it, <laughs> and maybe they picked yeah. up some ideas. But I mean, it ended up really, really, really nice. Well, I think it's it's yeah. more about it's more about just the elitist nature of the pay. I, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. They they did very well because David Cameron once did his his writing study in you know in in baby's breath or elephant's breath or whatever it is they call <laughs> it and, and 
it and it um you know kind of went viral and that that really helped them so yeah. um it, it's yeah it's, it, for them it's just about people telling their stories and and it, and it just helps it, it helps drive the, the sales of the paint but you know it, it's it's a very expensive high-end high-end thing so it's uh, uh, it tell, me little, it. tell me about it tell me about it <laughs> tell me about it yeah. when i got the bill <laughs> when i got the bill i i i, I had to be steadied <laughs> <laughs> yes it is it is pricey yeah. yeah i have i have my own story on that one but that's for another day <laughs> <laughs> okay you've talked a great deal about you know a, a broad range of things that are going on here james um what's next yeah, so you know, it's an interesting year for us. We we changed hands from an ownership perspective late last year. Um, moved moved to our third private equity ownership in Insight Venture Partners, who, um, as you as you'd expect by their name, they're, they're a little bit more venture oriented than they are. They are a private equity firm, but they they really do believe in in fueling growth. So um, we we've been very profitable for many years as we've grown, and they're. They're thankfully allowing us to invest some of that now into um, into taking the business further. So, what you'll see next is is big investments in in brand awareness and marketing, which is something we've you know, we've we've always we've always needed to do more of. But also, they're they're very very product oriented. They have a startup sort of mentality, and they like to see product investment. Mm-hmm. So, we're actually going to increase our R and D headcount by twenty percent this year. Well, and, uh, good. that's good it is it, it is and um you know that's going to help us um accelerate some of the um some of the exciting things that we have planned on our on our product roadmap so you know it, it's a little bit um a, more of watch the space you'll see and hear our name more this year mm-hmm. um but um uh, you know you, ne- you can never rule out things like uh, M- other M&A, but I think it, it'll be very much a year of um more of the same but but more of it okay. and uh We'll continue to uh, continue to, to to follow our path uh, and help a lot of a lot of folks that are um, are looking to invest in digital and, and become more digitally mature. James, don't be such a don't be such a tease. Do give me give me something on this one. I mean, it's great that you've got a, a firm prepared to invest and prepared to invest in R and D. Come on, give me give me give me a little tidbit, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I can, I'm not sure there's any tip that I can give you, Dan. Other, you know, I, I mean, we're we're uh, said we're um, we're we're going to make some investments, and uh, those investments will uh, will will propel us forward, and that can be in a can be in a number of areas. I mean, it's an exciting time to have some some fresh dry powder, and um, you know, and as a as a marketing guy myself, to to be uh, to be given a sixty percent increase year over year in, in marketing spend is, is is an unheard of thing. So um, wow. it, it's uh, wow. exciting exciting times for us, and we're uh, we we're, we're gonna we're gonna go big uh, in in a lot of places to to try and up, up the brand. But uh, okay, yeah. What what about markets in in general? I mean, how would you characterize uh, differences between say the US and Europe and and so on at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the US is growing the fastest for us. Uh, it's 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 clearly the most competitive market um, as well where where we see the most competition from from other large vendors, but we will will invest continue to invest heavily to ensure our brand is 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 um, is taken seriously and, and grows here. We're doing very well in Asia Pacific. We'll be adding more more personnel down there. Um, for, for this year, 
we're, we're beating our numbers there pr pretty well, which is, even though it's our smallest region, it's, uh, it, it's, it's punching above its weight. And so we'll, we'll invest there. And, and, you know, Europe's sort of where we, where we came from. Uh, it's watch this space for the UK. Oh. Uh, we're, 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 we've already penned the necessary um, contracts with Microsoft if we need to move um, all of our cloud services into UK data centers, because currently they're running from uh, continental Europe, sh yeah. should, should we be required to post-Brexit. Uh, yeah. um, but yeah, no, Europe, Europe, Europe's still, still doing well. So uh, as, as I said at the beginning, one of the things we're, we're very fortunate about is we're, we're bringing in new customers. So our new business growth is, is, is strong. And that's, uh, and that's, as long as that's in place, we'll, we'll, we'll do very well. So, uh, okay. yeah, I, th I, you know, across the board, it's, um, I, we're not looking to enter new markets this year. Let's put it that way. Okay. Just on the U S I mean, you're a Brit living abroad. I've, I've lived over in the U S and other places as well. One of the things that I've always been worried about is that for, um, European centric, organizations going to america it's it's obviously the the land of opportunity but it's very very easy to burn through enormous amounts of cash and not necessarily make the progress that you hope that you were going to make what makes you think that that you'll do well there uh, as things stand at the moment i know you've said you know we're doing extremely well blah 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 blah. but i mean i don't know the numbers to to sort of gauge whether that's coming from a small base large base or whatever the heck yeah I mean, so how, how are you thinking about that, uh, James? I mean, you've been yeah, there for a long time, so you've, you've, yeah. you've got a better handle than most on it, I guess. But yes, despite my accent, I think I'm a I think I'm a firmly a, a firm American these days. Mm. Um, I've been here for for best part of twenty years. But you know, look when when I came into Microsoft about almost five years ago, you know, the North American operation was exactly that. It was being run out of Sweden in a Swedish way. And, and, and as you'd expect, it wasn't doing very well. But we, we were able through acquisition to, to get infrastructure employees, customers um, in North America to get us started back in 2015. And then we, we, you know, 25% of all employees are now in North America. So it's not like we're playing at it. It's... Um, and it receives the most investment from a marketing dollar from a sales perspective yeah. as well. And we've, we've picked up some pretty good brands uh, along the way. So uh, I think we approached it from a different perspective. Acquisition was important. Mm. Um, and um, as I said, it's, it's, it's growing. It's, it's our fastest growing and it is our largest um, region in terms of quarterly sales bookings now. And yet we're still probably at, I don't know, a fifth of where we, we need to be mm -hmm. in North America. So the brand is not where, where we want it to be, mm -hmm. but we, we keep getting our brand attached to some very cool companies. And, um, and now we've got some more money to get out there and, and tell the world about ourselves. So I, if you were in the US then this year and you were attending all the shows like Shop Talk and, you know, and uh, NRF and Retail X and all of those, you'd see a very, very big presence from Episover where in the past we, we didn't have the ability to do that. And uh, over time, that, that's going to translate into, uh, into business for us. Okay, I'm going to have to get my colleague John Reed to, to talk to you because he was at NRF earlier on this, uh, earlier on this year and um, he's got some interesting tales to tell about that particular event. Um, James, <laughs> let, uh, we need to wrap up. Um, What's, what's going to be your biggest challenge for the year, would you say? 
Um, as long as the market carries on like it is and um, it doesn't seem to be abating, the biggest challenge for us, I'm sure, I'm sure it is for everyone else, is finding finding the talent we need. I talked about adding 20% to our R&D headcount, but finding those people is really tough. We're, we're in a we're in a global economy where unemployment in all the markets that we're operating in is is at record lows. Mm. People are sitting on great offers. So what keeps me awake at night is can I continue to support our customers and our partners and our business growth? Um, and the and the and the key to that is people. And and if you can't find the people, um, you know everyone's sitting on multiple offers. You got like you you have. 30 minutes to get, to get them uh, signed, otherwise they're going somewhere else. So yeah, that's the biggest challenge is, is finding the people, getting the people on boarded to continue to support our growth and ensure our customers are looked after. Okay, well that's a good problem to have in one sense. Uh, it, yes, it, it, uh, good, good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, James, let's bring this to a close. Any final words? No, thank, thanks. Thanks for the time, and good good luck with uh, with Brexit over there. Oh. And uh, yeah, hope hope to catch up in in person uh, when I'm next over. Okay. <laughs>